We met here for the purpose of worship, and certainly worship consists of a lot of things, not the least of which is prayer. So I would like to begin today, as we did last week, with a moment of silent prayer. Uh, You think about prayer, and you think about what God would have for you to present to Him, recognizing that He's going to hear it, and it's going to be changed, and it's going to be perfect, and then God's going to implement a perfect plan. So uh, let's all go to the Lord in silent prayer. Let us pray. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, now for announcements, we will have on Wednesday our prayer meeting at 6.30, and it will be followed at uh, 7 o'clock with our Bible study in the book of John. And uh, for those of you who would choose to join us, feel, feel free to do that. And of course, it will be on our podcast, and it will be on the internet, so... Uh, it will be available to those who choose. 6.30 and 7 o'clock on Wednesday. Now for another aspect of worship, which is giving. Uh, we're going to uh, take a look at our chart once more. And we have two scriptures that uh, summarize New Testament giving. And in fact, uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9 both devote uh, uh, to giving or devoted to giving and the teaching of New Testament giving. So as you know, we do not tithe in this church nor do we recommend sacrificial giving or giving because we're subscribing to a budget, etc. But rather we are trying as best we can to follow the Scripture. And 2 Corinthians 8.12 tells us a very interesting aspect of New Testament giving, which says if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. So again, if you have inclination to give, but you don't have anything to give, because God hasn't blessed you, 
then uh, you can still give in the privacy of your mind when we have a moment of silent prayer, which we will do. And then in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, it says, Every man according as he purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. And I personally believe that tells us that if you are, you have been blessed, but you can't be a cheerful giver, you ought not give. You should just simply keep what you were <clears throat> blessed with, if you will. And so that summarizes, those two verses summarize New Testament giving as we find it in the Scripture. Alright, with that said, now let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to uh, give you opportunity to exercise your prerogatives uh, in a moment of silence. And then I'm going to close by asking God's blessing upon the gift and the giver. Tommy, if you would. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to, to worship. Now, I would ask a very special blessing upon the gift and the giver. I would ask that you would continue to guide us as we're going to continue our worship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, don't forget our prayer list over here to my left. We have a number of uh, people who need prayer and they're there for you to uh, exercise uh, your prerogatives with reference to praying for one another. All right, now since we're conforming to what our authorities have asked us to do, our music, which is an aspect of worship, and we do have a doctrine of worship, and we do have a doctrine of, of certainly uh, music, where we look at what the entire Bible has to say about music and so forth and worship. But uh, right now, uh, we're going to have a piece of music. The song is entitled, Christmas in Your Heart. And uh, I think it's number eight on our uh, CD over there. So Kenneth, if you would, seek that out and punch the, punch the right button as Emily will sing.
Thank you, Emily. Can't remember when that was done, but it was some time ago. All right, uh, now we're going to go to our lesson. You'll see within your lesson plan, it's entitled Doctrine of Dispensations, Part 2. We actually completed Part 1 last week. And uh, now we're going to uh, pick up with new material on uh, page 2 with the study of the age of Israel. But before we do, as is our custom here, let's use 1 John 1, 9 as may or may not be necessary. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to uh, study your word. Guide us now as we're going to study to show ourselves approved unto you, workmen who need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, a brief review now. Let's uh, see what we did last week. I have, well, I'm going to put. Go ahead and put the dispensation chart on the board, seeming that certainly seems appropriate since we are looking at the doctrine of dispensation. And I've marked up the chart from last week, but a brief summary of that, of course, shows that how people are saved, faith alone in Christ alone. Certain ages they look forward to the coming of Christ and are saved. Some look at Christ and are saved, and some look back at Christ and are saved. So that is all uh, uh, on the chart and was certainly displayed last week. But I did provide some uh, circuit dates for certain events on the dispensation chart. For example, the flood, best we can tell, 5000 B.C., and then Avraham, or Avram, as he was selected in 2000 B.C. And then Moses in 1450, maybe 1250 or 1450, depending upon which of the kings, whether you select the Hyksos kings in Egypt or you select other kings. But nonetheless, a good round figure, uh, 1450. And then we have Christ in 4 B.C., given when Augustus made his pronouncement. And then we have the cross, 32 roughly. All circuitates, of course. So those have all been provided earlier and explained. Now let's work our way to page 2 where we'll pick up new material. Uh, but uh, before we begin that study, continuing with the review, uh, I want to give you uh, an opportunity to use 1 John 1, 9 as I have done, but also during the entire service as I said, I think last week, maybe week before last, that we sometimes get a little ritualistic in our church, if you could say that about this little church. Uh, but uh, anytime you have a, a sin in your life and the Holy Spirit shows you, you can just silently cite it back and now you're as spiritual as you'll ever be and you're ready to be taught. So let's go to the age of Israel, a Jewish age as it is also called, we're going to complete our study then of two theocentric dispensations. 
And we're going to do that by looking at the age of Israel, or as I like to call it, the age of Israel proper. And as can be seen from our dispensation chart, which is still on the board, the age of Israel has a very important sub-age, and it's called the kingdom age, which isn't what I like to call an interim age. It's not quite uh, a Jewish age, and it's not quite church age yet, but it's as the scripture was being written and distributed, and Christ, of course, was presenting his kingdom during the Gospels. So it's a... A very interesting age, and we've been studying that at, on our Wednesday at our Wednesday night service. So it's also called, by the way, the age of the hypostatic union, and we get that word hypostatic from the Greek word hupo, meaning under, and then stasis, meaning to stand, as Christ stood under, stood down, came from heaven and uh, on planet Earth, and presented Israel the kingdom. So uh, it's also called in the hypostatic union, the kingdom age or the age of Christ. All right, uh, but its purpose, obviously, is to present his kingdom to Israel. So God elected Israel as a special people when he called Avram, as he was known then, the father of nothing, later to be named Abraham, which is the father of many, he called him out of the land of the Chaldean, which is also Babylonia. It's called Babylon. It's called Chaldea, uh, both uh, historically as well as biblically. But uh, we can see uh, from our chart, and as we will see, uh, it's a, certainly from where Abraham was called, he was told to get out of there. And remember, at the time he was called, he was Avraham because he was the father of nothing. Uh, and of course, as you know, he will be renamed. But he called him out of that very sinful area, very, uh, uh, <clears throat> you might say, uh, sinful to the extent that they worshipped a wooden god or a rock god, or they worshipped a, a tower that they were going to build, just various objects of worship which were out of line. And so he was asked to get out of that city. The city's name was Ur, Ur, or Ur. And it's the Hebrew word for city, by the way. And it was located on the Euphrates River, as you can see from the chart that you have in your lesson plan. And he was to go and seek a promised land. And the best and easiest way would have been just go due west uh, and uh, into the land of promise. But instead, God had to send him north to Haran because he had disobeyed God. So he followed the Euphrates River, which runs through Baghdad, by the way. And, uh, and you've got the river splits there, as you can see. And inside the split is Mesopotamia. So when you hear people talk of Mesopotamia, you know where it is. It's between the two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, flowing, of course, as you can see, out of the Persian Gulf. So this Avram did in part, he did leave, but only in part did he follow God's rules. And unfortunately, he did not leave his family as he was told, and that's for an indiscretion on his part, for which God sent him to Haran, where he had to wait for his, his father Nahor and, and perhaps others to die. But for this partial obedience, God did make him some promises. So God will first bless him with, because of the partial response. Uh, 
to God's direction. He will uh, bless him with a conditional covenant, which is the Mosaic Law. Conditional to the extent, you know, if you do this, I'll do that. If you do that, I'll do this, said God. And that's why it's called a conditional covenant. Because it's to be differentiated from the unconditional covenants where God just says, I'm going to do this. And those are the four unconditional covenants. And they're called the Abrahamic or Abrahamic, the Palestinian, the Davidic, and the New. And we'll speak more to that uh, as we proceed. Uh, Genesis 12, 1 and 2, reading through verse 4. Actually, 12, 1, 2, 3, and 4. And I'll read. Now the Lord said to Avram, these are wonderful promises now, by the way. They have not only uh, an appropriate message for Avram and his family, but also for nations and what nations are to do. And there's still a lot of anti-Semitism going on. Ken was telling me about a very interesting article in the Smithsonian about Germany who still has a great deal of anti-Semitism uh, involved in their country. And uh, I'm going to be interested when he finishes to take a look at it myself. I'm reminding you, Ken. But uh, it's a terrible thing. So let's see where it's promised that it is a terrible thing. Are you ready? Verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto Avram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Avram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot and his nephew went with him. And Avram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. So there's a promise. If you take care of the, of the Jews, you'll be blessed. And if you don't, you'll be cursed. All right, Avram and Lot with their wives at Haran. Uh, left their, their, uh, that particular city shown on our first map and made their way south ultimately to the promised land. Avram and his family are the first Jews. The Jews will not become a nation until they exit Egypt. That is in the Exodus. And the name Jew in Hebrew actually means he who crossed the river. It's Ivrit in the Hebrew. And therefore, they, he crossed the river and got up and partially did what God told him to do. All right, we are now ready to study a fourth age, which I like to call the age of Israel proper. <coughs> we are now, excuse me, <coughs> age of Israel proper. All right, here we go. Every age has certain distinguishing characteristics. The age of Israel had the very important sub-age, which I have elected to call the kingdom age. Uh, here's where Christ offered his kingdom to Israel. And there's a familiar chart to you. It's uh, don't have it on the board because I do not want to remove the doctrine of the dispensations. But uh, you can see there's two charts. You have the one at the bottom, which is a potential it's a series of events that could have happened. You have age one, of course, 
and you can look on our dispensation chart and see more of age one. But then we have the age of Israel. <clears throat> and of course, when Christ came, he offered his kingdom to Israel. And unfortunately, they rejected, as John says, you know, he came into his own, but his own received him not. But as many as did receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. But because they did not receive him, uh, they do not get the events set forth on that bottom chart, which would have been the kingdom. The kingdom would have been implemented. There would have been no church age. There would have been no tribulation. There would have been no millennium. Nearest thing to it would be the millennium would have started, but not the millennium per se as we know from Scripture. So we have to look at the top chart. In other words, age one, Israel, Christ, he came. So what happened? Rejection. Israel rejected him. And so the kingdom was taken up into heaven where Christ sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty waiting until the completion of the church age, of course, which will end with the rapture of the church and then the seven years of the tribulation. Uh, and then he will return to set up a kingdom for a thousand years and then we'll have the destruction of planet Earth and then we'll have the great white throne and then we'll have uh, eternity future. And we will get there eventually as we continue to study the various ages in our doctrine of, again, dispensations. So let's look at a few bullets concerning the age of Israel proper. First of all, there were many races of people and there were many languages. And of course, Israel is the missionary agent and they were supposed to do more, but they didn't. And so they did get a lot of discipline from time to time. There was a specialized priesthood of Levi, the fourth son of Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and then Judah. I'm sorry, third, third son. Uh, Judah was the fourth son from where Christ came. But uh, that's where our priestly tribe came. And eventually the, the high priest came from one specific person, Eliezer. All right, Israel was judged in time from when they failed they got judgment. Uh, we call it discipline. And we get discipline from time to time. Hebrews 12:6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Uh, and then, of course, for the four unconditional covenants would be offered. They would be rejected. And they will one day take place. Uh, of course, primarily in the age of the millennium. And then there was a time span. What was it? Well, it was Avram to the cross, if you will. Or perhaps even uh, uh, the completion of the canon, but or 70 AD. There are varying theories of that as to when that actually that age end. But uh, for our purposes, as we will study in more, in, in more detail as we study each age independently uh, later. Alright, the age of Israel proper began with the selection of Ram and will end with the coming of John the Baptist. We know that from Scripture, so we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to conjecture anything there because that's what the Scripture tells us. So the coming of John the Baptist when the age of Israel proper gives way to, to the kingdom age or the age of the hypostatic union. Notice Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were until John. That would be John the Baptist. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man pressed unto it. And that's what Christ did. 
All right, he preached the kingdom and he wanted all people to accept his kingdom offering. But as you know, they did not. So the kingdom presentation would later be offered in a sub-age called the kingdom age or the age of the hypostatic union as I have noted. It is in this sub-age Christ will offer his messianic kingdom for uh, implementation on planet earth. All right, Israel rejected the offer and was judged for that rejection and is still being judged if you will. As are anyone who rejects the Lord Jesus Christ regardless of the form, be it the kingdom age offering or uh, the offering of salvation to whomever. In other words, whomever would accept what the Holy Spirit makes clear. So back to Israel. Had Israel accepted Christ's offering of a perfect environment and an earthly kingdom, the four unconditional covenants would have been implemented. However, the offering, as you know, was rejected. Therefore, the implementation will be postponed until the millennium. And for a little more descriptive chart, I have provided the chart that you see there on page 4 in your lesson plan. How Christ was rejected and the kingdom was postponed. Uh, The promise is still there and will be implemented during the uh, millennium after the seven-year tribulation. Of course, the tribulation will begin with the rapture of the church and will end with the return of Christ at His second advent. Now let's review the four, if you will, four unconditional covenants. Abrahamic covenant. We can find Scripture there as we've already read Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and we're going to do it again. Very important verse. Then we can go to chapter 15 and see it again provided in verses 1 through 10, verse 12, verse 17, and 18. So let me read. Here we go. Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3. We've read it. The Lord had said to Avram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will bless you uh, into a... I will make you, excuse me, which is a blessing not only to Israel but also to us. A great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And we can just look back in history and see how that all has come to pass by the many nations who have uh, tried to abuse Israel. And when they did, uh, they got their comeuppance, if you will. All right, now let's go to Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 1 and ending with verse 18. After this, the word of the Lord came to Avram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Avram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Avram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer. That was one of Avram's slaves. His chief slave, by the way. And the number one slave. And he was from Damascus. And so he had already concluded that he and Sarah were too old to have a child. And so I'm going to pick the child of Eliezer is the promised child. Of course, God said, no, 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 no. And Avram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And this is called rejecting positive volition. This is, he had no positive volition. In other words, rejecting a promise of God because God told him, you know, I'm going to provide you the promise. All right, then the word of the Lord came to him. 
This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body and will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So we have a promise of the many, many people who will be uh, provided by the Lord uh, to uh, O Avram and his descendants. And Avram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. See, now we know how did he get right with God. Faith alone in Christ to come. And uh, uh, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur. You recall Ur, the city from which he left in, the, in Babylonia, uh, to give you this land and take possession of it. So he's going to get a special land. Now that's the Palestinian covenant, by the way referred to. So we've had the Abrahamic covenant mentioned here and now the Palestinian covenant. But Avram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? In other words, rather than just accept what God said, he wants some kind of proof. And of course that sounds so human, doesn't it? Just like us. So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Avram brought all these to him and cut them in two, arranged halves opposite each other. The birds, however, did not uh, uh, cut in half as they were in whole. So as the sun was setting, Avram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Now dropping down to verse 17, it says, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Avram and said to your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. And you can see that on, on your map also from the Nile to the Euphrates. Now this was a, uh, a, a series of events which has meaning. They have meaning uh, because uh, back in the olden days at the time of Avram it was the custom when two parties agreed rather than sign a piece of paper and go and get the names notarized and have it recorded, etc., etc., uh, they would do several things, not the least of which was they take the salt. Here's my salt and here's your salt. We put the salt together and that signifies it's a bilateral agreement. Promise for promise or consideration for consideration transferred. And then there was also another thing that they did. They would take, and the, old, the Indians followed this. They must have gotten it from somewhere. And they would cut their fingers, both of them, and then they would put the fingers together and their blood would mix. That would signify that it was a bilateral contract. Promise for a promise or consideration for a consideration. Uh, but this was a little different. But it was a custom that they would take the carnage, as it says, uh, except for the birds, they would be dead, but in the, in the pile, if you will, of the carnage. And two people would hold hands and then they would walk through the carnage together. But the interesting thing here, it was different. There was only one person that went through, and he went through, as, in the, as it says, uh, passed through with the pot. And uh, a sleep had been provided to Avram, so he couldn't participate. That signifies the unilateral nature of the covenant. God's just going to do it. He doesn't need anybody else. He's just going to do it for Israel. And of course, and also for us, by the way, because we're all sons of Abraham. Remember, I always ask Emily to sing that song for us when we talk about the sons of Abraham because they used to sing it uh, when they were at uh, the uh, 
Pensacola Christian Academy. Uh, sons of Abraham, sons of Abraham. They knew about that because they sang it. We are, you're a son of Abraham, I'm a son of Abraham. And we'll see that in Scripture a little later on. Just as much as uh, Isaac was. All right, now let's go on. <coughs> Next page. Let's see if we can find a map. <laughs> That's a message to me. Jerry, find a map. In other words, which describes the area from the Nile to the Euphrates. And I found one here in the map of the Middle East present day. And you can see the Nile River over there, you know, uh, in Egypt. And then you can go from that river all the way over to the Tigris and the Euphrates. And that's the land that he said he was going to give them. And, of course, that they've never gotten, by the way, Israel has never received that land. Even when David was king and when Solomon followed, they never had that. But they will get it someday, and, and we'll see that's part of the Palestinian covenant, uh, <clears throat> which we will get to. All right, let's read Genesis 22:15 through 18. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities and their enemies, and through your offspring will all nations on earth be blessed because you have obeyed me. And I threw that one in there because I want you to know uh, the one covenant that he made with them, and then he had the sign of the covenant with walking through the carnage, etc. It didn't just stop there. He continued to repeat it to Avram. And he'll even repeat it in the book of Hebrews so that it's solid, it's good. It's not, you know, because he said it, it's going to happen. And the promise is not going to go away. So we jump all the way to the 22nd chapter where he took his son up and he was going to slaughter him, but uh, God provided the slaughter uh, by providing the goat, you remember, and uh, he interestingly enough, Avram uh, believed God. Now, how do I know he believed God? Because he took his servant up there who went with him, but he told the servant, "You stay down here at the bottom of the mountain. Uh, my, myself and my son are going to go up there, and I'm going to go up there and cut his throat and set him on fire, but because uh, that's what God said do, and I just follow what God said to do." Uh, however, he then said to the servant who was at the bottom of the hill, you wait right here because we will be back. Isn't that interesting? We will be back. He believed in the resurrection. See, apparently God had given him a lot of Bible doctrine. Maybe he went to West Bank Bible Church one time. But anyway, the point being, he got a lot of doctrine, you know, and he knew about the resurrection. So the promises of people, nations, and kings to Abraham and Sarah would ultimately include the many Gentiles who would later believe and become gifted branches. Our documentation for this wonderful promise of inclusion can be found in Galatians. Now we're going to the New Testament. Chapter 3, verses 7 through 9 and verse 29 and Romans chapter 4, verse 11. Now let me read. It includes us, those promises. All right, here we go. 3, 7, and 8. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham... The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations, plural, will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Notice verse 29 in Galatians 3. And if ye be Christ, which comes by being 
you know, a believer. Then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And then Romans 4.11, And he, Abraham, of course, received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. All right, we are blessed then because of the promises made to Abraham and Sarah. And truly the world was blessed originally when Avram believed God and it was credited to him, to him, for righteousness. <clears throat> and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through the ultimate blessing that is Jesus Christ. Now let's go to another covenant. Let's go to the Palestinian covenant. We've had mention of it already, like this. You know, the stars in the heaven. I'm going to make you as numerous as those folks. And then I'm going to give you a certain land from the two river, the Nile to the Euphrates. So now we're talking about Genesis 15, 18 through 21, Ezekiel 20, 33 through 35, and 42 verse through verse 44 in that same chapter. So here we go. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> All right. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Avram and said... To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. And then he goes on in 19, says, The land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. And we'll see more of those folks in a minute. Those are the people actually who lived in the land of promise that God was going to give to Israel. <clears throat> All right, Ezekiel 20. 33, 34, and 35. As surely as I live, declares the, the sovereign Lord, I will rule over you with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm without poured wrath. I will bring you from the nations and gather you from the countries where you have been scattered. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and without poured wrath, I will bring you into the heart of the nations <coughs> and there... Face to face I will execute judgment upon you. Now let's go to Ezekiel 20 verse 42. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel. The land I have sworn with uplifted hand to give to your fathers. Alright, uh, then we go to verse 43 and 44. There you will remember your conduct and all the actions by which you have defiled yourselves and you will loathe yourselves for all the evil you have done. And you will know that I am the Lord when I, when I deal with you for my name's sake and not according to your evil ways and your corrupt practices. O house of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord. So I uh, took the liberty of making me a little map and showing you the archives, the Ammonites, Edomites, the Philistines, etc., Moabites, all the people who were in the land by tribe. <clears throat> These folks are going to be dispossessed. In fact, when God sends them into the land under the leadership of Joshua, uh, he's going to say, kill every one of them. You know, because if you don't, you're going to be following their ways. And then uh, when Christ returns, uh, he will give to Israel an area never before settled. And, of course, I mean settled by Israel. Neither during David's time, 
uh, nor during uh, Solomon's time when that was the major, the largest portion of land that they ever really took over and uh, possessed. It says, A land beyond even that held previously by either King David or King Solomon. And you can see I have outlined it for you. You can see it has a great deal of, of uh, well, a portion of Turkey. It has, of course, Saudi Arabia. It has uh, Syria. And, of course, where Israel is today. And then in portions of, of the, what we know as new as Babylon and uh, what we now know as uh, Persia in the main. All right, so that's the land that they're going to get. And uh, it is provided for you there on page 8. Now let's look at the Davidic covenant. So we've had the Abrahamic covenant, unconditional covenant. We've had the Davidic covenant, unconditional covenant. Now we're going to have the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel 7.10 and Ezekiel 37.24-26. through 26. Let me read you 2 Samuel 7.10. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning. And that, of course, refers to when Christ returns at His second advent. All right, and now we have in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 24 through 26, as we think about the Davidic covenant. Got to get David involved here. It says, And David my servant shall be king over them, and they all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. He's still the prince right now, sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, of course. But he is actually going to rule in the millennium. He's going to be David's executive officer. We certainly can gather that from these scriptures. And he says, Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. So the David Davidic covenant, all <clears throat> for time immemorial, David will be on his throne sometime on earth, and then he moved it to heaven where, again, he is with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he will return with the Lord to be the executive officer, as I like to say. In the military, we always had a commanding officer, and he usually had an executive officer who was second in charge, and then you usually had an adjutant who took care of the paperwork and the discipline, etc. he and the first soldier. All right, now let's go to the new covenant, our fourth of the four covenants. Unconditional, remember. You don't have to do a thing to get this, Israel. I'm just going to do it for you. All right. In other words, when asked the question, why did you choose Israel and why are you going to do all these wonderful things for Israel? He said simply, because I said so. All right, now for the new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. All right, he says, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Thus the name, new covenant. It will not be like the covenant, that is the Mosaic law, I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand 
to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. In other words, a supernatural imposition there. You're going to keep the law. You're going to show the rest of the world how to keep the law. And why is that going to happen? Because I said it would. And I'm going to put it in your hearts and in your mind. No longer will a man teach his neighbor. Don't need any more teachers. Or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. All right, in Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 11, God reaffirms the Abrahamic, Palestinian, and Davidic covenant with the ritual of circumcision. At the ripe old age of 99, Abraham is given the heir of the promise, of course, Isaac who is born that year to him and to his aged wife, Sarah. Notice verse 1 now in chapter 17, reading through verse 11. When Avram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And Avram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations, plural. Certainly would include us as sons of Abraham, United States, for example, and many others, seven sons of Keturah, etc., and many others. But no longer will you be called Avram. Your name will be called Avraham. Ham means a lot of people, means people. And of course, he's going to be father of many people now, not the father of nothing. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations, plural of you, not just Israel, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision. And it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Alright, the covenants are alive today and coming soon, if you will. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 through 13. The sooner, the better. Alright, here we go. 10, 11, 12, and 13. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. Now I would remind you, where are we? We're in Hebrews. Where is that? New Testament. I was telling you about how all these covenants are not just promised here and no longer promised, but we find them here in the Old Testament, here in the Old Testament. And then we jump all the way over to the New Testament. 
And there they are again. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. There's another promise, least to the greatest. In other words, in heaven and in the millennium, in the promise to Israel, and the promise to Israel and to us, there's going to be the greatest and the least. We're not all going to be the same. God is not an egalitarian. God knows there are differences in people, and uh, he makes the statement, the least to the greatest. And we know that comes about, of course, by the judgment seats, which we've covered before, both for Israel, both for Old Testament saints and New Testament saints, uh, and uh, believers at the Bema, etc. And he says, For I will forgive their wickedness, and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, the Mosaic Law. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. So, so much for that age, if you will. Ages, actually. Now let's go to part three in our doctrine of dispensations. And we'll go to the church age. Of course, we know we live in the church age. The age of the church, is, of course, is taught by pastor teachers each and every Sunday in varying degrees. Uh, we like to do it by way of teaching a book of the Bible now. Although sometimes we'll just stop. Like, for example, uh, we study the Matthew 13 parables. That, by the way, was very popular. My son-in-law called me and said, Well, you, a lot of people like, they wanted to read, they, excuse me, they wanted to hear the message about the Matthew 13 parables. Uh, it uh, surprised him, as it did me, that they would be that popular. And then they like the doctrines, like the doctrine of the authenticity of the Bible. They like, hopefully, this doctrine of dispensations. But we shall see. That is to say, by looking at the many downloads we have on our web, on our podcast, as well as our, excuse me, westbankbiblechurch.com. I've got my, uh, excuse me, my cough drop in my mouth now, so maybe it'll do better. My throat, that is. Alright, the age of the church is taught by most pastor teachers each and every Sunday in varying degrees. We can divide the age into two segments, the pre-canon and the post-canon. Uh, Pentecost, of course, uh, uh, from Pentecost to the, to the rapture of the church is one uh, indication of the church age and where it began. I, th- I like the, as does Colonel Theme, to use 70 A.D. as opposed to the cross, which many people do, uh, because it's uh, really when things began to change, when the entire city of Jerusalem was destroyed, and it's still destroyed, and the temple was destroyed, and it's still destroyed. But we continue on with the church age, uh, where we had, of course, the writing of the canon, the completion of the canon, and the church age itself will end with the rapture of the church. All right, scriptures appropriate for the church age are Acts, the Epistles, and the book of the Revelation. For example, we have in this church studied over a 40-year period many of these scriptures, certainly not all. But given this fact, I think it best at this point to simply summarize several basic truths discovered about the church age, or as we like to say, the age of the church. 
All right, since many of these truths have been earlier discovered and taught accordingly, let's move on to a study of the tribulation as the first of two eschatological ages. And of course, we will continue to teach church age doctrine, church age doctrine, church age doctrine. But uh, uh, it is, of course, voluminous to say the least as we look at the epistles and others. All right, so now let's go to part four, the tribulation. Introduction. I'm going to read you Matthew 24, 21 through 22. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So just how short shall the tribulation be? And where uh, uh, shall it be? Well, it uh, shall come seven years after the rapture of the church. The seven years are divided into two periods of three and one-half years. So it's short, seven years, and it's going to come seven years after the rapture of the church. And we're talking now about the tribulation. All right, it is often described, and you can see it on the, the dispensation chart, of course. It has been described as 42 months, 1,260 days, or a time and times and a half time. You'll find that in Scripture. But when you see that, you know it's talking about, again, 42 months or 1,260 days. Or three and a half years. The, certain, the certainty of certain events occurring in the tribulation will be the subject of this doctrine. So welcome to events future. Alright, in his Olivet Discourse, Jesus Christ, speaking to his disciples, prophesied concerning the tribulation. The disciples wanted to know. Tell us when all this will take place and what will be the sign that it is about to happen. Well, we can see that in Mark 14, I'm sorry, Mark 13, verse 4, where I have it in quotes there for you. All right, the prophecy, the prophecy should not have come as a shock to his disciples, the Lord's disciples, as the Old Testament contained many, many references to this future time of great violence. The scriptures speak of a, quote, time of Jacob's trouble, time of Jacob's distress, and compares it to a woman in childbirth. Ezekiel 20, 34-38 refers to a time when Israel shall pass under the rod. Notice the church is never involved in the descriptions of the tribulation per se. Why? Because of the fact it's for Israel. It's to whip up on Israel so that they will be ready for the second advent. The tribulation, not that there won't be believers there and there won't be a church there, but the point being, for whom was it designed? For Israel. They shall pass under the rod. It shall be a time of Jacob's trouble. Alright, so Ezekiel 20, 34-38 refers to a time when Israel shall pass under the rod. So the tribulation is also represented as God's melting pot where Israel will be refined as gold and uh, impurity removed. Look at Jeremiah 30, verse 4 and 5. Uh, let's read through 7. Uh, there are words, excuse me, these are the words the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. 
That's verse 4. Now verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cries of fear are heard. Terror, not peace. Ask and see. Can a man bear children? Then why do I see every strong man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Every face turned deathly pale. Now this is Jeremiah writing in approximately 600 or so B.C. Primary to Israel, but also by way of secondary application to us. How awful that day will be. None will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob, but he will be saved out of it. Now verse 34, 35, 36, and reading through verse 38. I will bring you from the nations, talking about Israel, and gather you from the countries where you have been scattered with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with outpoured wrath. I will bring you into the desert of the nations and there face to face I will execute judgment upon you. As I judged your fathers in the desert of the land of Egypt, so I will judge you, declares the Lord God. All right, uh, so much for the the, uh, lesson, if you will. Uh, And uh, I would refer you, by the way, to a book, series of books actually, written by Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye, entitled Left Behind. If you want to get a very interesting read, I don't remember how many volumes it was. It was like four, I think, maybe five. But uh, the first two or three are really, really good. I know I shouldn't be criticizing those guys because they sold that book like hotcakes, if you will. It's like me trying to tell Mickey Mantle how to hit, you know. Uh, But uh, they kind of got tired. on the last two or three books, but the first two or three are excellent, and it's uh, just an interesting read, and many, many people read it, and I'm sure many, many people believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye and the series entitled, of course, Left Behind. All right, uh, we'll pick up next week a continuation of what we have been studying, and we'll get around to Daniel, and we'll be talking about Daniel on Wednesday night. Uh, marvelous testimony to to uh, what you don't want to do, and that is be arrogant. Remember old Daniel was walking around, I'm sorry, Nebuchadnezzar was walking around looking at all his domain and talking about how great he was and how he had built all this, you know. And God heard him and God said, uh-huh, I'm going to show you, buddy boy. And uh, he said, uh, promised him, you know, that he was going to be cursed. He was going to go out into the field. He was going to play like he was Howard Hughes. He was going to let his hair grow down long and his fingernails long and be a germaphobe and whatever have you or whatever. I don't know where he was a germaphobe. Point big. He will eat grass from the field and he will be with the cows. Move over, cow. Uh, that's my grass. And uh, he will be suffering from zoanthropy. In other words, he was thinking he was an animal. But only for seven years. And then God will give it all back to him, only for seven years. He will give it all back to him. And he will think, oh man, just like Daniel told him, see, uh, what, this is going to happen to you, and then God's going to give it back to you. Remember when he talked about the tree and he's going to band it? Well, that because that tree's cut down, but he's going to wrap it with a band so that it will sprout again. And he's given his kingdom back. And so as a result, this is a preview of Wednesday night lesson. But uh, it, uh, he's going to, of course, uh, receive the kingdom back. And as a result, 
he's going to have a little Bible track. You all all heard the four spiritual laws? He's going to have his own four spiritual laws. He's going to tell everybody in his kingdom, Daniel's God is the God you want to believe in. Because let me tell you, I've been through it all. I've had the curse and I've had the relief from the curse and you need to do that. Just as we have today, a message. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So, if your head bowed, please, and your eyes closed, I ask you would pray for the invite. Because the invitation is, I want you out there, if you've not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, well, that means you're without hope uh, and you are in trouble. And you need to do something about that. Uh, you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ right where you are uh, because He has taken care of the sin problem. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So right where you are, though He did come for His own, but His own received Him not, but as many as received Him, and that's all of us, but as many as received Him, to us gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on His name. No psychological hoops, no walking the aisle, no raising your hand, no telling God, I'm not going to do that anymore, God. Uh, 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 uh. It's just simply faith alone in Christ alone. So you can do that right now, wherever you might be, whatever you might be doing. And on the promise of the Word, you'll be saved. So I'm going to pause for just a moment, then I'm going to give, us, I'm going to give the benediction so, uh, surgeon, do it now. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and live in this great country of ours. We know it's in trouble. We know it's rocking and a-rolling and it's just in a desperation mode. But uh, we know who's in charge. And so we lift up the United States of America. Make us proud of this country again, Father. Whatever it takes, we have no idea. But uh, we know who do, and that's you. So uh, please help us. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.